0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Looniverse podcast. My name is Charles Liu. Please call me Chuck. And it is a great pleasure for us today to have, of course, our wonderful, excellent, superb co-host, Alan Liu. Hi, Alan. Hello. (laughs) And our special guest today, my friend, Jimmy Negus from the University of Colorado, Hi, Jimmy. It's a
1: pleasure to be on the Lunarverse.
0: Oh, thank you so much for coming. First, pronounce your last name for us so that we all have it for the record. And I'll, I'll, of course, tell you why later, although many of our audience members probably already know.
1: It's Negus.
0: Mm -hmm. And the reason Negus matters is because the Grand Negus is the head of state of of the... uh, should we call it an empire of the Ferengi? Of the Ferengi? The Ferengi whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> in Star Trek, mostly in Deep Space Nine, but other places as well. So, um, your friends, they must call you the Grand Age.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he was better looking for the reference.
0: Oh, no. He has the lobes, right? <laughs> yeah. you you got the lobes right there. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So, um, I want to as usual, start out with today's joyfully cool cosmic thing. And this leads right into our conversation because Jimmy is an expert in active galactic nuclei, that is supermassive black holes that are doing a cool thing. But we'll talk about that in a moment because there is a particularly interesting supermassive black hole system that was just uh, recently in the news, well, technically published about in a paper that came out. Now, this system is called B2, 0258 plus 35. Okay. Now it's just okay. a phone number. Is, Don't worry about it. Is going to be a quiz on that? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be hard to remember, but what actually matters to me is that this thing, and Jimmy, you know the this, this system too. It's uh, right now kind of like a low power supermassive black hole, right? So it has some winds. It's producing some output energy, but it's not really super powerful. And, and as right. a result, Yeah. People wondered whether or not it would be of any interest uh, at all in terms of like affecting the system that it's in. Well, this paper showed just recently how cool it is, even though it's low power. It is powerful enough to blow gas and dust away from the center of its host galaxy at such an efficiency and effectiveness that it's stopping the formation of new stars in this galaxy. Now, Jimmy, you you can tell everybody (laughs) why that's cool. I mean, (laughs) that's
1: mind blowing. (laughs) I mean, this is this is fascinating. You know, in terms of galactic scales, to clear out star formation, an immense amount of power is required to do that. You know, in order to form stars, you need dense, cool molecular gas. So, the thought of having a central engine that can clear this on a galactic scale. Is just mind-boggling, and it's in fact, it's still a a riddle for astronomers. Is do all AGN shut down star formation? Could they stimulate star formation in some instances? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is very exciting to uh, to review for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. You and I know that you know one of my research areas and yours too is Mm -hmm. the quenching of star formation. You know, what are the processes that do that? And if there is a supermassive black hole system that shuts it off, even when it's not super powerful that has substantial implications for the entire process of star formation in the history of the universe. Yeah. Absolutely. So Alan, uh, what's your take? Uh, Or even better, if there's somebody else that has a question about that, please feed us and let us know what we can answer, Jimmy and me. Ah, questions. Well, that's my specialty over here. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think it's really cool that you can you can shut the star formation off just from one central black hole doing all that power, um, and that leads into our question, which is from Ben from Pingry Astronomy Club, and the question is, what is the difference between quasars and black holes? Ooh, Ben, good question. Yeah, that's a great quest. that Jimmy, is a great question. Jimmy, all
1: yours. Absolutely. So, well, first, quasar comes from quasi-stellar object. So back in the day, astronomers would see this bright light in their observations, and they thought what they were seeing were stars. But it turns out these are actually some of the most distant objects in the universe. And the difference between a quasar and an AGN, uh, it's quite subtle. So let's first start by defining what an AGN is. So at the center of most massive galaxies, there exists a massive black hole. And for some galaxies, they can begin to funnel matter rapidly on their core in a process known as accretion. Okay. And that accretion sort of marks the activation of that black hole. Now, a quasar is just the high luminosity end of that. So think of a quasar as an AGN that is just really powerful. So the accretion or funneling is very intense and it's causing sort of the output energy to, to, to be larger uh, in scale than a standard uh, AGN. Yeah.
0: I did a calculation once, Jimmy, that uh, the most powerful known AGN at that time, I did the calculation, I guess it was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, it was right. producing more energy in one second than our sun produces in 10 million years. So oh, I, I don't know if if that sounds right to you, but the you know if you just Whoa. do the ergs per second, you know, that just kind of absolutely. Rocks and uh, well, that's a... also
1: most AGN can outshine the collective stellar light inside the entire galaxy. amazing. so you know, for reference a black hole, many people think of a black hole as this huge cosmic vast entity. Most black holes are smaller, you know, than our solar system. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very, right. Well, it's actually, check me on this, but I think it's within the orbit of Mercury is is the average size of most black holes. Wow. And so it's a relatively sort of small (laughs) engine Uh that as we're learning can have profound effects on the entire galaxy. Wow.
0: So yeah, even this... uh... Cosmic leaf blower. We were just talking about you know B two O two five eight plus thirty five, just the size of the innermost planetary orbit of our solar system, and yet able to just shut down the formation right. of new stars in its host. That's really right. quite amazing. <laughs> so let me follow up on that with you right now, Jimmy, because I know a little bit about your research, but you got to tell me about this this thing called the active galactic nucleus, right? The AGN. Now that. Assumes immediately, of course, that the uh, black hole is at the nucleus, the center of a galaxy. Now, what do you have to say about that? Hmm?
1: <laughs> this is an intriguing question, and it's generally suspected that you know most of the AGN do occupy the central regions. But as you can imagine, you know the universe is a dynamic place. There are things like mergers that are happening and dynamic tidal disruption events. And throughout those processes, you can occasionally have offset black holes. And so while most AGN are indeed at the nucleus or the central core region of galaxies, that's not always the case, right? Yeah. And so that's something that that is very much an active region of research.
0: So we should call that the what? Active galactic blob somewhere that's not the nucleus. (laughs) An and something. We astronomers love acronyms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Far for the course. Alan, maybe you can think of a better name for that than this, the A, G, N.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I know but the whole thing where astronomers use the middle letters of words and acronyms to make it look a little bit nicer. Maybe we can do something with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, like the, the O in the word cosmos uh, to do something, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Cosmos, actually, Jimmy. Right. You do this thing called the Colorado Scale Model Solar System. Isn't that that's correct? Cosmos? Did, did you guys turn that into a you –
2: no,
0: know, Colorado is C-O, right? <laughs> S is scale, and then M is model. Use the O in – Oh, in model to make a model. And then the solar system. Now it's called Cosmos. This is a very tame wow. acronym for astronomers.
1: That is brilliant.
0: Hey, yeah, you we're guys didn't think CS-MSS. of that
1: MSS. We didn't.
0: Well, it's now the Cosmos.
1: Oh, <laughs> man.
0: Congratulations. Back Jim. to the drawing board. Thank you so much. <laughs> Tell us about this. This is a, this is a cool project right. that you're doing out there
1: absolutely so actually it was just unveiled this past december we had a chancellor's event for the the ribbon cutting ceremony and it Mm -hmm. was about two to three years of work you know the the university of colorado had an original scale model solar system which was built around 1987 and that was to dedicate a memorial for the challenger astronauts and so this was sort of the, the the staple and over time, you know, weathering and golf cart collisions and stolen plaques, you know, over three decades, you know, the, the existing model had experienced some severe damage. Wow! And, you know, me as a passionate astronomy grad student, I was TAing our, an intro astronomy lab, and one of the labs was dealing with the scale model solar system. And it just baffled me that, you know, we have a state-of-the-art planetarium a glorious observatory on campus, <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's about time to upgrade this. I know there's got to be funding and uh, there wasn't, but Aww. through several years of campaigning, uh, we eventually found yeah. enough investors to realize the vision.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Great. Yeah.
1: And there's an app. It's the modern era. <laughs> so Ooh. you can now download a, a mobile application and you can hear a sonic representation of the planets.
0: Fantastic. Wow. We, we will definitely get that into the show materials later for people to come in. Can you describe the scale model just a, a little bit more in terms right. of like what we can expect when we see or look at it, or if we were sufficiently excited to actually go to Boulder, Colorado <laughs> and see this thing?
1: Absolutely. I encourage everyone to come out. The first key is it is a 1 to 10 billion scale model. So for every (laughs) step you take, if one step is one foot, then that's 10 billion feet in the actual solar system. And so what we have students do is go from the sun to each planet, even the asteroid belt is represented. And what they find is when they convert the distances that they've taken along their steps and, and multiply it by 10 billion, these are the actual distances of the planets. And you know what's fascinating is not even astronomers really understand the relative scale of our own universe or our own solar system even. Yeah. And so for people to go a few steps from, you know, Earth to Venus, Earth to Mars, and then you take a a, a journey to Saturn or Uranus, it's like, "Whoa. Wow. This is really fascinating."
0: So just off the top of my head, if it's 10 billion to 1, then that means like going from here to Pluto is several hundred yards. It's like half a mile. almost. It's
1: about a third of a mile. Yeah. It's about a third of a mile.
0: Wow. That feels great. Guess how
1: far the closest star system would be from Boulder, Colorado, outside the planetarium. How far would you have to travel? Just just pick any city.
0: (laughs) Alan, go for it.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, so if it's 10 billion, so there's, there's like 6 trillion miles is light year,
0: So. Oh, oh you're too mathematical on this one. Man. You know, <laughs> I'm a little too mathematical. Sorry about that.
2: that, that I'm just going a little bit. Uh, what can you say? <laughs> is, it like, is it like all the way to like a couple states away at this point? Fairbanks,
1: Alaska. Fairbanks, Alaska.
2: <laughs> or the Panama Canal. It's about
1: 2,000 to 2,500 miles. Fantastic.
0: Wow. Right. Well, now that would be a so, skill model solution. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And and the app is called
1: Wanderer CU for anyone who's in CU, er, who's in Colorado and at the model.
0: Okay. Wanderer CU. Right. Great.
1: And it's in the in the Apple App Store.
0: And and of course because planet means wanderer, right? From uh the ancient go. Greek or something like oh, yeah. that. Very very making cool. them
2: connection. Nice bridge. Nice
0: bridge. <laughs> Well, you know. Um, okay, let's get back to a little bit of the science that you do. What, what kind of, right. what is like the main facility or database or something that you use? That uh, and, right. and can can our listeners actually do science with it? Well, so the Sloan Digital Sky Survey,
1: which does have publicly available data, mm-hmm. is a magnificent sort of um, uh, reservoir of, of galaxies that are observed at the Apache Point Observatory, which is in Sunspot, New Mexico. And so this massive sort of telescope, it's about three and a half meters, uh, collects the light from millions and millions of galaxies. And what I use is a subset of this catalog that leverages a technology called integral field spectroscopy. Mm. And so don't get lost in it. All it is is we're placing fibers sort of in the field of our observation to collect the light to measure the spectrum of these distant objects. Ah. And just as a reminder, the spectrum sort of tells you the chemical signature of the gas in these distant galaxies.
0: Right. But this, this what you're saying is the field means that you're not just getting one spectrum from each galaxy, but literally hundreds or thousands, like an actual map. It's amazing. These, are, so for one galaxy,
1: we can get an array of spectra that is 72 by 72, which oh, math nice. major here is about <laughs> 5,000, it's about over 5,000
0: spectra yeah. wow. per wow. galaxy. That's amazing. That
1: is mind boggling.
0: Wow. That, that's where you map your uh, active galactic, right. not quite nuclei, right? To see where it actually <laughs> is, is floating yeah. around in there. Right. So. Okay, surely this project has, with the Integral Field specter has some sort of an acronym, just like every other thing that we've been talking about so far.
1: It's manga and not the anime. Yes! No!
0: Yes! (laughs) Comic books! Comic books! Yes, my favorite. Technically distinct from comic books. Oh, no, wait, wait. Seriously? Alan, you're telling me that manga and comic books are not the same thing? <laughs> they're 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 almost the same thing, but there's some people <laughs> with some opinions about that, and I don't want to disrespect them. <laughs> all right, all right. Well
1: And of course the acronym mapping nearby galaxies at Apache Point Observatory. You know? <laughs> it's, sure. It's, That's it's manga? Full, <laughs> Yeah,
0: it sounds like Mumgapo or something, right? It's, <laughs> right, right. It's manga. Some liberties were taken. <laughs> Why not? Sounds like a great name to me. Manga, you know, I, right. you know how much I love all of that stuff, right? Whether Absolutely. it's comics, Except movies, cartoons, anime, uh, sci-fi. But you also, I know, are a tremendous sci-fi fan and uh, oh, critic yes. and, and all kinds of stuff. So you got to tell us, <laughs> what, what has recently caught your attention? Like a recent book, movie, or, or maybe even a classic that you right. haven't seen in a long time? Tell us something. It fun.
1: has to be the the popular ex, the Expanse, uh, which oh. is on Amazon Prime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm very
1: much a Star Trek Deep Space Nine loyalist. It's it's the only Star Trek I, I ascribe to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but you know that Star Trek it's it's you presume you're just in a distant sort of universe where we've we've safely left Earth and you know we, we conduct our business in outer space. The Expanse, though, is very what I feel like. A very realistic progression, though, which is, you know, having divided zones. So in the expanse, you know, there's the Earthers, the Belters who occupy sort of the asteroid belt region. Oh. And then, right, and then those on Mars. And there's this stratified sort of grasp for power and resources and and fighting for labor. And, and I feel like, you know, while oh. that is not as, you know, idyllic, it is yeah. very much... Probably right. a realistic progression of how our venture yeah. into, you know, space is, is ah. actually going to manifest.
0: Star Trek does indeed assume that, you know, after a couple of hundred years, we humans work out <laughs> our differences. And, and, you know, San Francisco is a utopia, right? Uh, so right. That, that sort of thing. But the expanse you're telling me is, is this uh, gritty thing. Uh, now, Alan, there you, you go. actually did an interview about the expanse not too long ago as I recall. Well, you were you were involved in it a little yeah, bit too. But but, yeah. but uh, you you had the knowledge about it more because your expertise is more about like space technology and the kinds of things mm-hmm. that are happening now. So um yeah. I, I want you two to sort of comment on the technology of the expanse. Like pick one thing that's like really cool and, and interesting we worth thinking about. So uh, Jimmy, go ahead, and then Alan, jump in, please.
1: You know, obviously, we've experimented with you know how the technology will evolve, and you know how it will look to evolve to get massive colonies of people beyond you know our our orbit, right? Um, but still, what I find the most fascinating has to be the the psychological and territoriality component, right? Um, and I, I feel as we progress, even to Mars or to the Moon. You know, we're gonna inevitably have multiple quests for power (laughs) and political
0: factions. There
1: you go. Autocracy versus democracy, that sort of thing. There you go. And the sooner we can begin to expose ourselves to the potential for that, the sooner we can prepare for that. Makes sense. And so that's that's one of the fascinating things that that I really found sort of grounded in our current day um, society.
0: Uh, Alan, would you agree it's the human side that matters? I don't know. You're a tech guy really, so
2: yeah. No, so I I really love the 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 idea of the tech and the idea that like we, we take not not things that we hundred percent know we could do for sure, but some of these fusion drive things they're like right. ideas that aren't too far out there. But then one of the things I think sci-fi does best, which I agree with Jimmy on this, is that it takes these small speculations into the, the way that humanity's external circumstances can change and then talks about how our internal circumstances change. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of the best sci-fi, you know, um, red Mars series does that too, 2001, a a lot of the things about exploring the solar system and these older things do exactly the same kind of thing. And I appreciate that.
0: Uh, Absolutely. That makes so much sense. And okay, guys got to tell me something that you think recently came out that, that you felt was not very representative or oh, a good example of, of modern science. Like I, either one of you, chime in. Can talk, I
1: go, talk. Alan? Please. <laughs> yeah, you can go. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this week I went to go see Moonfall. It's uh, starring Halle Berry. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's okay. sci-fi thriller. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No sp- no spoilers, yeah, but the yeah. trailer exposes most of the plot, which essentially the moon is falling towards Earth. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> and uh, okay.
1: right, so its orbital path has been compromised oh, okay. and um, essentially the theory here is that the moon is oh, remember a... no spoilers
0: no spoilers Ooh. or we can
2: we could do spoilers if we do like a like a big spoiler warning tell everyone to skip ahead a few seconds okay. and then and then say the spoilers okay okay, spoiler okay so here's alert. the big spoiler, spoiler warning alert. spoiler alert okay. go ahead
1: spoiler alert the moon is a dyson sphere what which <laughs> <laughs> Oh. For those of you that don't know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, would you like nice to explain? So, 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 go ahead. What? No, no. What's in the middle of this? The okay. mm, Dyson, Dyson <laughs> the Dyson sphere is effectively a star that has some sort of mechanical uh, configuration around it that extracts its energy. And so, the theory here in the movie is that the moon is actually a white dwarf. And the surface of the moon is just a facade. No, <laughs> it's, it's just a facade.
2: How would that not like destroy the solar system or have destroyed the solar system four, four billion and a
1: half years ago? Billion years ago. Holy moly! So, for those of you that don't know, a teaspoon of white dwarf matter is about uh, thirteen thousand pounds. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, oh, you know, man. in the movie, you have this big, you know, this big sphere in the center of the moon, which, yeah,
0: yeah, okay, yeah. all right. That, that, you, they're yeah. say no more, sir. That, that just does it. Now, of course, in the old Doctor Who, you know, remember that right. the egg, the, the moon was an egg in Doctor Who, right? So, I guess the moon right. can be anything if you're imaginative enough. But this, <laughs> this is not, this is not cool. Okay, well, we'll we'll leave it at that, and and we'll let everybody right. else. Uh, Watch it uh, and see if they or not watch it it. Fun. or not watch it. They can make their own decision. Okay, right. all right. Time to get another question, Alan. Please. All right, cool.
2: So this is another fun question. This is from Sadie from Massachusetts. Uh, it is why did you choose astronomy over all other fields of science? Oh, Sadie,
0: great Ooh, question. Sadie. And 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 you like may not that. yeah, you may not have known this, but but Jimmy is uniquely qualified to answer that question. Talk to us. Sir. <laughs> oh
1: man, that is that is a loaded question. I'll try to keep it simple. <laughs> Effectively, you know, the reason I'm studying astronomy is because I feel it encapsulates so many other sciences, you know, astrochemistry, astrobiology, Aerospace engineering; these are all things I'm so immensely passionate about, and I didn't want to choose essentially. And so, astronomy <laughs> allows me to explore all of these different realms. Everything. You
0: know, That's cool.
1: It's it's so- amazing. You know, in high school, I I I, I it was an after school program that had me choose sort of um, a program to look into, and you know, I looked at ecology and biology and chemistry. And just something about that last on the back page, the astronomy description of stars and galactic structures and, you know, exo habitability. There was really no decision at that point. It was this is what Mm. I'm going to do.
0: Wow, that's (laughs) fantastic. But you you did explore other things as well over time before you got to this point, right? I mean, even though that was something that ignited you in high school, you still nevertheless wandered all around.
1: I am a very curious man and I like to explore sort of hidden talents and, and part of that sort of mission was taking a few years off of school. So mm-hmm. after undergrad, I decided, let me see what this real world is all about. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what is the mystery? You know, before I commit to another seven or eight years of schooling for the PhD, what is this real world about? And so I explored the engineering industry and in particular, atmospheric nice. research And so for four years, I I helped, you know, build, design, study um, radiometers, uh, sodars and LIDARs. And the suite of these instruments are effectively atmospheric profiling devices. And so, you know, you can measure sort of the, the, the emission coming from the atmosphere or measure wind speed to get accurate profiles up to several kilometers into the atmosphere. And so, yeah, that.
0: was... Sodar and lidar are are they like radar, but different things?
1: There you go. So, uh, right, right. So, change your medium. Radar, right? You, you it's it's all about the frequency being used. Hmm. So, so the frequency and the medium. So, sodars are essentially think of pulsing an acoustic wave. So, think of sonar, right? Sonar, you're pu- pulsing a wave, but underwater. Yeah. And okay. and part of that. Uh, way to detect neighboring sort of things with sonar is you're measuring the Doppler effect. You're measuring uh, reflected uh, waves. And so with sodars, you're just pointing to the atmosphere. And at about 4,500 hertz, you can effectively pulse waves. They bounce off of um, atmospheric layers and you can measure wind speed and direction, which is a very powerful tool for, for think of if you're launching a Space shuttle, you want to know what the wind profile is, and SODARs are one way to do that, okay?
0: So, 4500 hertz again, just the top of the top of my head, Alan. You, you can probably look this up for us, but it's it's like four or five octaves above middle C, right? Um, because like middle no C musician. is 240, 250. Uh, so 4500, anyway, you know, if you find out what note 4500 uh, hertz is. You can, I guess I can we can imagine, like, yeah. Look it up. Let look it up for us, would you, while we chat for just a second, Jimmy? Yeah, and and right. so you're just basically shouting out into the sky, basically, right? It's like, absolutely, hey, hello, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so I like
1: to think of it, I was doing very small scale astronomy. You know, i still in the troposphere. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, but I would eventually increase the heights.
0: <laughs> and then lidar is a different thing as well. So
1: right, so you're essentially pulsing um, um, lasers. Right. You're you're oh. you're pulse right, you're pulsing lasers and wow. you're sort of measuring the reflection on that.
0: Okay. And and is that something that is involved with um, active, adaptive optics? Like we do laser guide stars in astronomy, right, where we're mm. trying to measure the atmosphere. Is that lidar stuff kind of like got laser guide star technology? Or is that a little bit different?
1: Right. Uh, I think it's a little bit different um, Mm -hmm. just because the scales are are so much different between the atmosphere and, you know, distant stars. But I think that the core technology may be the same. Yeah, that's interesting. interesting.
0: (laughs) Well, it just speaks to the uh, what you were talking about earlier, how astronomy, like you get a chance to do a little bit of everything because after all, you know, the universe literally contains everything. So if you're studying the universe as a science, you're studying anything or everything about the universe that could be connected to one another, which I think is super cool.
1: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I think that's it's fascinating. Oh, uh, well,
2: got the answer, Alan? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a uh, the closest music note is a C sharp eight.
0: Oh, so just above the piano. <laughs> I think so, right? Yeah. Right, so like, how many ledger lines above the treble clef staff is that going to be? <laughs> that's, uh, that's 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 quite a few. <laughs> a bunch of eight VAs up there. That's wow. Yeah. So so just just at the hi- imagine the highest note of a grand piano, I guess, and then go a little higher than that. So that yeah, I, I love that. Wow. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate it from yeah, <laughs> within human hearing, but like just barely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Okay. So I think we have time for one more question. Let, let's bring okay. another question in there. Okay. Let's give that a try. All, Alan. All right, cool. So we've got our Patreon question here. Okay. Uh-huh.
2: is there anything in the universe that doesn't spin or vibrate? It feels like the closer you look, the more waves and orbits you see. Wow. Oh, Jimmy, that, all yours, man. That,
1: that is a fascinating question. Um, so, you know, the astrophysicist in me wants to give you the theoretical spinless black hole answer. Mm. But I I still, you know, the way I envision space is objects on a trampoline, right? And so to me, anything that inherently has mass creates a depression in this trampoline and is therefore interacting in some way with matter in its vicinity. And so I, I just, I don't, see space as a static object. I don't see anything in it as static. I think it's all energy and vibration and and literal space-time deformations. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. So your answer is no. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So that's yeah. I think, right. I think <laughs> we can go and tell our tell our patrons. So Walter T is the, the patron who uh, who asked this question.
0: Well Walter, thank you so much for that question. Really appreciate it. And yes, uh, we have our official answer. Everything is spinning and everything is vibrating.
1: <laughs> eh. Entropy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and I'm always spinning and vibrating because that's just because I can't stop moving. But that's just me. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's not just no, you. But uh... <laughs> wow. Well, look, everybody, thank you all so much for being with us. And thank you to you all in the audience please, uh, if you like what you hear, support us on Patreon. And I want to thank Jimmy. I want to thank Alan. And I want to thank you for being with us in the universe. Thank you for being a part in the (laughs)
1: universe.
0: Thank you for being a part of the universe.